could turn your attention to the screen and watch this video. At Living Hope, we're always about growing deeper in God and in fellowship with others. So I'm excited to introduce to you our new Wednesday night classes. Listen to the leader describe his or her class, pray about it, and you choose the one that fits you the best. And remember, every Wednesday night at the same time, our children and our youth ministries meet, so there's something for the whole family. Register on the app or by emailing me. We'll be leading a Bible study based on the second season of The Chosen, which focuses on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Each week, participants will view the episode at home, and then we will come together on Wednesday night for a discussion using this interactive Bible study book. If you didn't come to the first season, feel free to sign up. We'll start from zero. You won't miss anything. One of the things we really enjoy about the classes on Wednesday night is getting to meet new people, getting to form friendships with people here at Living Hope Church. Well, I'm excited to facilitate a group where you can ask any question that you want. Now, this, uh, the purpose is to go along with our Encountering Jesus series, and we're specifically designing this group for people who have questions about the Christian faith. Maybe you're a seeker, maybe you're already a Christian, but you would like to hear good biblical answers to some of the toughest questions that a person can ask. Uh, we are convinced that Christianity is historically, it's objectively true, and we're not afraid to take on the toughest questions. Our Living Hope prayer team now hosts a dynamic, spirit-filled Wednesday night prayer group. We invite you to come into His presence with us through prayer and spontaneous worship. We gather to seek God's face, His presence, and His glory because we desire to host His very presence. Ephesians 2.22 says, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So come and experience His presence with us in the house of prayer and see for yourself that the Lord is good. All are welcome. I'll be teaching the book of Daniel and I am excited about this study. It's been a few years, but as you study it, you'll see that Christ is the one who will establish an everlasting kingdom. And people like Nebuchadnezzar will say things that you couldn't imagine coming from an evil dictator. And Daniel, such a man of integrity. And Darius said, while Daniel was in the lines, then Daniel, is your God able? Listen, the world needs to know that our God is able to deliver us even out of the mouth of the lion. I'm really excited to teach this class on getting stress free. I think we've all heard that stress is a killer. And in this class, we're going to learn about the profound effect our thoughts have on our overall health and happiness. Dr. Caroline Leaf, a Christian neuroscientist who has studied the brain since 1981, will explain all this in detail from a scientific perspective. I'm excited to be leading Transformational Discipleship Module 2. In the past, we've required you to go through Module 1 before doing this, but now we're going to just open it up to anybody. We'll be discovering what it means to be strong in the Lord, how to abide in the Word, and how to overcome the evil one. You will watch a three-minute video, read a short chapter before you come to the group, and then you come to discuss the material. Good morning, everybody. 
Let's stand together. Children are dismissed out that way that want to go to children's church, and the rest of you take a minute and just greet those around you. So children dismissed, greet those around you, say hello to somebody before we get into God's Word. All right, you can be seated and take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. If you don't know where it is, look in the table of contents or just go to uh, the, last, the second to last book of the Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew and take a left, it's two books to the left of Matthew. Zechariah uh, is where we're going to be today. And by the way, just a lot of really encouraging things happening in the life of Living Hope. We had, uh, as, as Dustin shared, 60 freshmen from Wesley went on a missions trip, spring break. A number of other students went from crew and other ministries. And uh, our great exchange ministry sent over 30 laborers. They had 204 gospel conversations, six professions of faith. This past Wednesday night, the Financial Peace University class wrapped up. 11 people reduced their debt by $9,000. Tuesday morning on the campus here at 6 a.m., we had 20 men in, in, in men's groups on this property, 6 a.m. Tuesday. And then uh, you guys know we want to be super uh, responsible in our financial stewardship, so whenever the general fund gets a little excess, we kick it toward our principal. This week, we were able to give $20,000 down on our principal of our loan, and it's now less than $1.2 million. So God's moving. Thank you for all your support. Yes. And Gip is back from Indonesia, so that's cool. He was there for two weeks doing missions work. A lot of good things happening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word now. Would you open our hearts and minds and spirits to your holy word? Thank you for the unity of your word, how the Old Testament and New Testament all come together in a profound way. So open our hearts now, God. Give us revelation, not just information, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'm excited about our time in the Word today. As you know, we've been in the book of Jude. Jude is a book about warning the church against false teachers, warning the church against straying away from the truth of God, very applicable today. Last week, we wrapped it up, but as I was, as the more and more we did the book of Jude, the more I would notice things in Jude where he's quoting from an Old Testament book, Zechariah. Matter of fact, three times in the book of Jude, he quotes from Zechariah chapter 3. And here they are, the Lord rebuke you, snatch from the fire, filthy garments. So then I went back to, to the book of Zechariah, and I read particularly chapter 3, and I thought, man, there is so much in this chapter that corresponds with our study of Jude. I'm going to devote an entire message to Zechariah 3. So that's where we're going to be today, Zechariah chapter 3. The notes that you have on the back of your announcement flyer marches it through verse by verse. Not much space to write because it's a, it's a, it took up all the space to put those verses. But one of the things that I find interesting about this is if you look at the purpose for the book of Zechariah, it's a warning about God's people who have drifted. And in Zechariah 1, verse 3, it said, God says, return to me and I will return to you. And so it's no surprise that Jude would have thought of Zechariah as he wrote this because the book of Zechariah is a call of God for people who have drifted to return. Return to me and I will return to you. So the people of God had drifted in Zechariah. It's a call to return in the same way Jude is, is concerned that people might drift away from the gospel 
drift away from the truth. And are we seeing that today? Yes, we are. We're seeing churches drift from the truth. We're seeing individuals drift from the truth. Maybe you've drifted from the truth. Maybe you're listening today and and you used to walk with Jesus. You used to be close to God. You used to be in the Word. But you drifted away from that abiding relationship with Jesus. And so it's a call back. And God is so gracious and merciful and patient that if we return, He says, I'll return. As the father of the prodigal, when he began to to come to his senses and returned and repented, God ran to meet him. God runs to meet you today if you return to him. God runs to forgive you if you repent of your sins. And so in Zechariah, there's also another reason why I believe that he had Zechariah in mind when he wrote the book of Jude under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because Zechariah is an incredibly messianic book. There are some amazing prophecies in Zechariah about the Messiah, and this is the very thing that God used to convince me that this book is His Word, because when I ran into Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus, I was stunned as a sophomore in college. I said, this book has to be divinely inspired. There is no way, apart from the inspiration of God, that things could be written, in this case, five hundred years before Jesus came. Zechariah was written in 500 B.C. And in that book you have things such as chapter 3 verse 9, I'll remove sin in a single day. Chapter 9 verse 9, your king will come riding on a donkey, Palm Sunday. Chapter 9 verse 11, the blood of the covenant. Chapter 11 verse 13, 30 pieces of silver would Judas betray Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 10, they will look on him whom they have pierced. That was before crucifixion was even invented. 500 B.C., they will look on him whom they have pierced. Folks, is that not the divine word of God? Chapter 13, verse 1, he will cleanse them from sin. And chapter 14, verses 3 and following, he will come back. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives. It'll be torn in two, and he will be king over the whole earth. Hallelujah be to God. So Zechariah is filled with prophecies about Jesus. Now again, we see the three passages that Jude quotes. And so what I want to do is I want to go through Zechariah 3, verse by verse. I want to show you how you can read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and the New Covenant. The the Old Testament does not make full sense unless you interpret it through the New Testament. Jesus said in Luke 24, 44, all that was written in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms is about me. Jesus said the way to correctly interpret the Old Testament is to do so through the grid of himself because it all points to him. So we begin in verse 1. Verse 1, it says this, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord is a reference to a theophany, a pre-incarnate Jesus. This is Jesus manifesting himself before he was incarnated because in John chapter 8 it says, before Abraham was born, I am. 
John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the phrase, the angel of the Lord, most scholars believe, is a reference to a pre-incarnate Jesus. So you have Joshua, the high priest, standing before a pre-incarnate Jesus, and it's a reminder that the high priest was the one and the only one who could come into the Holy of Holies with a blood sacrifice to minister to God and for God. The high priest ministered to God through sacrifice, through worship, through adoration, and he ministered for God by ministering on behalf of the people. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, if you are in Christ, you are a royal priesthood. Hallelujah be to God. You and I in Christ are royal priests. We can, because of the blood of Jesus, come into the very presence of Almighty God, boldly, it says in Hebrews 10, and we can minister to God through praise, worship, adoration, sacrifice, submission, abiding, intimacy, and we minister for God through evangelism, discipleship, encouragement, and other ministries. So what a picture we have right off the bat. And this ties in, does it not, with what we learned last week. In Jude verse 24, that God is able to make us stand before Him blameless. You and I in Christ stand before God blameless when we've been born again because He's forgiven our sins and He's bestowed upon us the very righteousness of God. Now, when you realize that you're a priest of God, when you realize that you are united with Christ, forgiven of your sin, that you are a priest who has access to the very holy of holies, what is going to happen as a believer? You are going to be attacked. The Bible says that we are in a spiritual battle. So it's no surprise that the next passage would say, and Satan was also standing at the right hand to accuse him. Do you realize that in Revelation 12 it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren? He will accuse you day and night. One of the biggest attacks that Satan brings upon believers is to whisper lies in your ear, to accuse you, to say things to you like, I can't believe you even call yourself a Christian. Look at what you did. Look at that thought you had. Look at that evil motive you have. You haven't done this. You did this. And he will try to accuse you and condemn you and bring up all kinds of things against you to discourage you. And if you and I believe those lies, then we will usually start drifting. We will usually start thinking things about ourselves that are not accurate. And one of the chief ways that Satan attacks believers is to bring accusation. So what do you do? You've got to learn how to deal with this. Because Romans 8 and 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The other part of Revelation 12, right after it says he's the accuser of the brethren, it says, and we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Two things go into combating the accusations of Satan. Knowing what was done at the cross for you, the blood of the Lamb, and speaking it with your mouth, the word of testimony. If you just take those accusations, you just let him whoop up on you, you will not have victory. But when you say, I am not going to stand for that, I am going to resist those attacks, I'm going to claim who I am in Christ, what He's done for me, and I'm going to speak the word of testimony against the accusations of the enemy. Then you begin to see Him subside. In other words, you've got to put the Lord Jesus between you and Satan. 
If you don't have the Lord Jesus between you and Satan, then you deserve to be accused. You deserve to be condemned because your sins are not forgiven. But when you're in Christ and you put the Lord Jesus between you and Satan, then this next phrase can be true of you. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. O Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand pluck from the fire? Does that sound familiar? Jude verse 9 talks about us being, and verse 23, we have been plucked from the fire. The Jude verse 9 is where he quotes, the Lord rebuke you. Jude verse 23 is where he refers to being snatched out of the fire. So here's the point, beloved. If you've been plucked from the fire, if you've been forgiven, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, then Christ in you is greater than Satan, and you can resist those attacks. James 4 and 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's good news, isn't it? You know, I ought to at least hear an amen out of that. Let me read that again. You guys aren't getting it. If, if you've been plucked from the fire, if you've been forgiven, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, then Christ in you is greater than Satan, and you can stand against those accusations. You can resist him and command him to go and say, the Lord rebuke you. Thank you. Amen. Now we have this picture of Joshua before and after. And I think, again, this is an amazing portrait of you and me before salvation and after salvation. Verse 3, now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Verse 5, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. So again, we go back. This is a picture of Joshua before he had been forgiven. For you and me, it's a picture of, of our lives before we are saved. And it's very consistent with what Ephesians chapter 4 talks about when it says to put off and put on. And so he says that you, you were with filthy garments. This is you and I before we're saved. We are shredded. We are sinful. We look ridiculous before God. We are absolutely in these filthy garments. And he says, I want to remove those from you, Joshua, and I want to put clean garments on you. I want to give you a new nature. I'm going to forgive you and restore you and make you righteous in my sight. And for you and I, this happens when we are born again. The Bible says that the old is gone and the new has come. Ephesians 4 talks about put off the old, put on the new. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And because we are made new, we want to live a holy life. So this filthy garments passage is quoted in Jude verse 23. Look at that. In Jude verse 23, he talks about save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, 
hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, when you have become new in Christ, then you, you hate. You hate that old way of living. You hate the old. I was talking to one of the Fresh Wind graduates this week, and he said, I asked him if he ever struggles with temptation to go back to his old way. And he says, yeah, I'm occasionally tempted. But he says, you know what, Pastor David? I look back at that and I hate it. I hate what it did to me. I hate what it did to my family. I hate what it did to my finances. I hate what it did to my marriage. So yeah, in my flesh, there are times when maybe I crave that drug or that alcohol. But when I really start thinking clearly and I really look at what it had done to me, I hate even the garment stained by the flesh. That's what Judah's talking about. That's the attitude of Joshua once he got delivered. That should be our attitude. That because we have been made new, we want to live a righteous, godly life. So, beloved, have you put off the old? Are you tempted to go back to the old? God has called you to a new life in Him. Verse 6. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua. Now, this phrase, solemnly assured, in the Hebrew means to say something over and over. It has kind of an earnest charge. I earnestly charge you. I strongly admonish you. So again, Zechariah 3 and Jude 23, further supported by verse 6 here, where he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you will rule my house, and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. In other words, what he's saying is, now we're going to move from justification salvation to sanctification salvation. Remember we talked about that last week? That this whole idea of being blameless before God is a statement of our justification salvation. What happens the moment we are born again and saved? We are declared righteous and holy in the sight of God. Now, because he's taken off this old garment, he's been clothed with new. It's a picture of salvation. Now he charges him, based upon who you are, based upon what you have, based upon the fact that Jesus Christ, in our case, has taken off our old man, given us a new man, now I solemnly charge you to walk in righteousness and obedience. And if you do that, look at what he says will happen. You will rule my house. You'll have charge of my courts, and I'll give you the right of access among those who are standing here. I believe, first of all, this is talking about how because of what we have in Christ, because of what we have in justification salvation, live it out in sanctification salvation. In other words, because you are holy, live a holy life. Because you are loved, love God and others. Because you are united in spirit, be diligent to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Because you are forgiven, forgive others. Because you've been shown patience, be patient with others. Because you've been given compassion, display compassion on others. And so everything we are to live out in sanctification is because of what we've been granted in justification. Then, I believe he's saying, as you walk in obedience, the closer you walk with God, 
The more obedient you are to God, the deeper you grow and the more you're used. I think this is even a cry to leadership. So those of you in leadership, those of you that have responsibility in the church or in some kind of ministry, look at this passage. If you will walk in my ways, in other words, live a godly life, not out of legalism, not to gain God's favor, not to get him to love you more, but you live in closeness with God because of what you have in him, and then he can entrust you with greater levels of authority, greater levels of influence, greater abilities to have an impact for his glory. Ruling his house, having charge of his courts, and having right of access among those who are standing here. You see the plural there? You'll have greater access to those who are standing here. I'm going to give you heightened influence. I'm going to give you more impact upon others. As you walk in my ways, I can entrust to you greater responsibility. So it's a call to leadership, it's a call to obedience. And it's a call to kingdom impact. Verse 8. So where do we need to step up our game? Where do we need to become more serious? Where do we need to maybe put off the old to experience the new? So verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Who is the branch? Huh? Amen. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Another great example of this book of Zechariah being a messianic prophecy. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That was written in 700 B.C. Isaiah. Now verse 9. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, 1 Peter 2 calls Jesus the cornerstone. On a single stone with seven eyes. What are those seven eyes? Those seven eyes are the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus showed forth in fullness. We see that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Look at the screen. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Exactly what is said in Zechariah. Which are the seven spirits or sevenfold spirit of God sent into all the earth. So seven is the perfect number. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all perfect. The Holy Spirit is perfect along with the Father and the Son. And this sevenfold ministry described in Isaiah 11:2, Jesus fulfills as the stone. And those sevenfold ministries are this the Spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. 
He sees Jesus has the Holy Spirit, and he sees through those eyes with the spirit of wisdom. Jesus was the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. Jesus had all understanding. Jesus had all counsel. Jesus has all power, 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. Christ, the wisdom of God and the righteousness of God and the power of God. Jesus has all knowledge, and Jesus walks in the fear of the Lord. What an amazing passage. How the Old Testament and the New Testament all fit together in Jesus Christ. Amen? Verse 9. I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. (laughs) Oh my goodness. 500 B.C. Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, predicts that the sin of the land would be removed in a single day. Folks, when did that occur? When was the sin removed in a single day? Calvary. Jesus Christ dying on the cross, shedding His blood, saying from the cross, it is is finished, paid in full. I love the old hymn, Man of Sorrows. We often sing it on Good Friday. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Alleluia. What a Savior, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Alleluia, what a Savior, guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was he. Full redemption, can it be? Alleluia, what a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished, was His cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Alleluia, what a Savior. When He comes, Our glorious King to His kingdom us to bring. Then anew this song we'll sing. Alleluia! What a Savior! Lifted up was He to die. It is finished, was His cry. I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Jesus died and the veil was torn, removing our sin and allowing full access to the Holy of Holies. Full atonement made on that single day when Jesus died, shed His blood. Nothing more was needed. Nothing more could be done. Full payment made in a single day. In a single day. Now, now there, there's one more thing here that, that's It's interesting. <laughs> Guess what else about sin being removed in a single day? 
your sin, your sin can be removed in a single day. When you receive Christ, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you call upon the name of the Lord, when you get born again, your sin, my sin, is removed in a single day, in a single moment, in a single minute. The moment you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That's the moment you get a new nature. That's what Jesus said in John 3 and 3, and this will be our message next week. What does it mean to be born again? as we start our Fresh Encounter with Jesus series. Jesus with Nicodemus. In a moment, you can be born again. John 1 and 12, To as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. In a single moment. Romans 5 and 1, Having been justified by faith in a single moment. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone in a single moment. And the new has come. The moment you call upon the name of the Lord, are you born again? Are you saved? Do you know that today? Which coat are you wearing? And then once our sin is removed in a single day, then what? In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. I love this picture. Once you're free, once you're saved, once you know God, once your sin's removed in a single moment, then you want to invite others. You want to invite others. You want to say, hey, come into the family. Hey, you too can be forgiven. And so it's a call to evangelism. 2 Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. Acts 1 and 8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Matthew 28 says, Go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Once you're saved, once you're born again, you want to invite others to come into the fold. So let me summarize what I believe Zechariah 3 is saying, coinciding with Jude and coinciding with all the New Testament. Because our filthy garments have been removed and we've been snatched from the fire of judgment by Jesus, we are righteous and blameless and thus can say to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And we don't have to stand condemned or accused because Jesus stood condemned for us. He took our sin. He took our penalty. And because of that, we are priests of God and we can come into the most holy place and we can minister for God by calling others to come to Jesus. Amen and amen. So this is why we begin a new series next Sunday called Fresh Encounters with Jesus. And we want this series to be one that brings us as believers into fresh encounters with Jesus, but also one in which we can invite people to come that don't know Christ. So each week we'll have a testimony. Each week we'll, we'll have some message from some part of the Gospels. First two weeks, being born again, Jesus and Nicodemus. Next week, Jesus and the woman at the well. Where are you finding, where are you looking for true love? Week three, the baptism of Jesus. Public display of affection. Proper PDA, baptism. That'll be week three. So that gives you a little flavor. Each of these, again, will be uh, partially geared for people who don't know the Lord. So it's an intentionally evangelistic series. And we want you to be inviting prayerfully those that you could bring to church. It's amazing how many people will come to church if they're just invited. It really is. I'm amazed at how people will respond many times if you just take the, the, the option, the opportunity to invite them. 
So that's why you were given this card as you came in. There's more available in the lobby. But what we want to do now is we want to take, instead of doing Q&A today, I want to, to take some time in prayer. And so we're going to get, do, devote the next five minutes or so, worship team, if you'd come on up to just prayer in groups um, for lost people. So don't even really talk to each other first. Just go right into prayer and just begin to pray for people you know that don't know the Lord. I'd like our prayer team to be available up front in case anybody would like individual prayer. Also, uh, make the wall of compassion available if you just prefer to go over there and write some names on the wall and pray individually. But I want most of you to just be praying in groups of three to four for people you know that are not saved. I'm going to be down front here during this prayer time. If any of you maybe are unsure of your salvation, you're not sure if you're born again, uh, I would invite you to come and just uh, pray with me up front here. So let's go to prayer. Prayer team, if you want it. Wall of compassion, if you prefer to go over there. But I'd like most of you in groups of three or four just beginning to pray for people you know that don't know the Lord. part of your prayer that God would increase your compassion for those who are lost remember this is a spiritual battle come against the powers of darkness that hold people captive bind those spirits over those lost people ask God to lift the veil open their eyes pray fervently folks souls are at stake eternity is at stake power of prayer for people that are outside of the kingdom
Now I want you to include in your prayer just for God to open doors of opportunity. Paul prayed that. God, open doors. God, give me eyes to see. God, help me see people in a different light. God, raise my spiritual senses to know when I'm to go to that person. God, lay people on my heart that I'm to invite to church or share my testimony with. So just begin now to, to, to not only pray for those lost people, those outside of the kingdom, but for your own heart, your own compassion, your own discernment, that God would heighten your sensitivity to his leading. up your prayer time. We're going to sing a song crying out to God for revival. Revival in our hearts. Revival in our land. Revival in our city. Some of you may want to come to the front and just kneel and pray as we sing this song. Just a cry to God to pour out His Spirit, not only in this series we're about to do, but throughout our city, throughout our nation. Oh, beloved, our nation needs revival, and there are fires erupting, and we say, Lord, bring it here. Bring it here.